0: Hey everybody, it is episode 72 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. Steve is with me. Hey, Steve. Hello, world. We are excited to be coming at you this week for a variety of reasons. We've got, on our main topic side, we've got a couple of things we're going to be covering. The first is following up on our Purpose and Practice episodes, where we talked to Lee, Amanda, and Greg from our podcast training group about their purpose. And so we're going to be following up with them about how those discussions played out beyond and how they helped them in training and in their goal races. So we'll be covering that and in addition, kind of getting their perspective on the podcast training group, learning a little bit about how they adapted to that training and also just giving you the opportunity for those who might be interested in a podcast group to learn a little bit more about how that works because we'll be restarting that group May 7th. So that'll be coming up and we've got all of that info posted. We're going to be kind of talking about the details of that after our conversation with Lee, Greg, and Amanda again today. So I will post in the show notes where you can kind of fast forward to get that information if you want it. It's also on our website. If you go under the training button and click on podcast training, you can find it there. So, check that out if you're interested in learning more for our intro topic today, Steve, we've got to go to london marathon recap what recap race. what a race we we did our picks last time. You kicked ass chris well i did I did all right I did all right on the men's side at least, so let's start there. we of course both both pick. Kipchoge to get the win and he did in a solid 204 in those conditions and second place was a new young Ethiopian athlete Katada and then Mo Farah as I predicted finished finished out the podium I think I also even predicted his rough time because I said high 205 low 206 so he was just over 206 so I got one and three correct you got one correct and I don't think anybody picked the young Ethiopian to be on the podium amidst that field. But the way it went out so fast, it played into the hands of those who might be ready to handle some chaos. (laughs) And there was chaos. Yeah, so they went out (coughs) in 422. World record pace is, I believe, 437 per mile. And so they went out 15 seconds faster than that, ran thirteen forty. Eight, I believe, for the first 5K, which is almost a minute faster than world record pace across the first three miles. So they just went out blazing fast in a race that was going to be warm. I mean, it started in the low 60s, from what I understand, warmed up into the 70s, and there was no clouds. So it was blazing sun, and Jean, one of my athletes who was there, said it was she was sweating on the starting line. So it was a warm day, and they, yet they went out in what we believe from all the reports was the fastest first half of a marathon ever.
1: Yeah. It's, I don't even understand how this happened, Chris, cause it was not planned. So this is one of the issues that happened with this, with these paced races is that you get some Yahoo's who go out in 1348 for the first fucking 5k of a, of a marathon, which is absolutely insane. And I do think this is not the first time this has happened at, at this race, um, this race is known for. I guess there's just no discipline. I think they need to take the money away from these pacers, tell them they're not going to make money if they don't hit the paces that they do, because this is just ridiculous. And I, no matter how geared up and excited you are, you can't go out that fast. 4:22 for the first mile, 13:48 no. through the first half. Okay. It's just crazy. I don't. I don't. I don't know. It, at that part, you know, I almost didn't watch that part, Chris. I I jumped in at about. Six in the morning, and you know I went and went back and watched the gold, the NBC Gold, that I got to watch it from the beginning, and I I started to fast forward because there was so much crap on that feed. By the way, in the first (laughs) part of it, I was like, I I I I'm so glad I got through a lot of that stuff. Don't get me started. I know we just we should leave that alone. But anyway, it I so I almost went. i Then I started at the men's race at the where the men's race started, and thank goodness I did because I would have not realized how much drama there was in that first part. But it was just crazy, just crazy.
0: Yeah, so they were basically going out in the equivalent of a 156 marathon pace through ah. the first 5K. And,
1: and and they went with it. That's the crazy and they thing. went with it. And, just and said and
0: Farah Farah was supposed to, there were supposed to be two <coughs> groups at the beginning. One targeting a 101 half pace and then one targeting a 1:01:45 half pace. Farah had said he might go with that second group depending on who went with the first group. And he decided... And then, and then as the race went out fast like that, all the Pacers went together. It was one big group. And so he had no choice but just to go with that hot pace. And you had a pack there together, including Kipchoge and Adola and all the... Katata, ultimately, and all the folks that went out in that crazy, crazy pace with the Pacers. And there was no second group that was completely obliterated from the beginning. Which, really, only benefited Kipchoge. <laughs> At the end of the day, I mean, you know, somebody it
1: benefited. Who was the guy who got second? What was his name? I Kitada. can't It benefited. I mean, it definitely helped him. I, he but that guy was just like, he was like Idola from the 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 from Berlin before that. He just caught a flyer and those Ethiopians, they they the young ones they're just you know where ignorance is bliss to his folly be wise they're just dumb runners they go out after it they just stick with it and next thing they know they're, they're their whole plan was to follow and you could tell he was behind Kipchoge like there was no distance he had it <laughs> he was, he right, was right up in his business the whole way
0: smart man like Adola was in the first part of Berlin
1: yeah th- those those races played out very similarly at least the one and two of course you didn't have the same crazy drama that happened berlin takes care of their business in terms of a paced race but this is now london's second or third time to have this crazy business happening and uh, we need to i think it needs to be rethought this entire there's a chris i don't know if this is the time to do it but there's an amazing <laughs> article or podcast i mean a, a blog put out by um tony revis um about london 2018 which he discusses this issue of pacing and just why are we why are we setting up our ourselves for failure as fans and our and our and our and our the best in the world by chasing a number that really doesn't really matter to anybody except a shoe company maybe and you know, we've everybody's been conditioned to care about this uh, world record time, but we haven't worried about. We I watch the five thousand and ten thousand at every major meet, and I know nobody's going to break Bakelie's record anytime soon, and I don't really care. And the races I see that are paced that way, there's no intrigue, there's no, there's no, there's no game afoot, you know. So anyway, I I'm not saying let's get rid of paced races because I do understand their placement, especially in the marathon, but we've got to over we we're way out of whack on this, and it's creating um, less than exciting races well and if you're gonna say we want to break the
0: record of 202.57, 57 then why not run a reasonable pace to actually exactly. achieve that because and i follow ross tucker on twitter he's a sports scientist and he's he's under the twitter moniker at science of sport he does he does a good job of following these races and yeah he's a badass tweeting and he also has updates on a lot of topics so he's a good twitter follow but you know he was he was just talking about how not only are you fighting the the science about pacing here also in this case where you're fighting the the physiology of heat <laughs> and the fact that it was going to be difficult to get a world record given the conditions no matter what the dominic who trained with us texted me a uh, interesting analogy slash metaphor he said you know going out in that pace for kipchoge was like him having pocket aces before the flop <laughs> <laughs> and just basically going all in. Yep. <laughs> because for him, he knew he had the best hand. So, you know, putting a big bet out there only benefited him and and made it more chaotic for those others who had to sort of pucker their sphincters and be like, okay, hold on for dear life. And ultimately, the flop came and Kipchoge won because... That's what Kipchoge does. I mean, I think the fact that he ran a two hundred four after that opening pace in, in those conditions is unbelievable. I, I consider that a world record-level effort for Absolutely.
1: Him. I, th- I, th- I thought that was the best race that I've seen him run outside of um, the Olympics. You know, at the Olympic Games, he just ran such a masterful, beautiful race. It's really hard. But damn if the guy didn't run a beautiful race there. It, it was ugly to start, and it wasn't his fault, but he did. I mean, Chris, late in that race, 35K, he doesn't even bat an eye that the other guys behind him you can tell he doesn't even care he he no. put the he put the accelerator down once or twice in there i remember watching and we got a couple little smiles out of him but they were <laughs> different than his usual grimace they were real smiles and you could just see the master at work <laughs> like yeah. nothing was going to stop him from doing it. and he did he faded and he didn't run he probably would he probably considers this less than beautiful but he did what he was able to do with the cards he was dealt early on, that everybody was dealt, and with the way the heat went, Chris, that was a masterful race. In my opinion, if if I'm another marathoner in the world, I would would not watch Kipchoge run another step because all he's going to do is intimidate you to the point where you think you can't beat him because what he did at London is, even for Kipchoge, in my opinion, that was mind-boggling. I mean, it's almost without words to say how smooth, how rhythmic, how strong he was over the last... I mean, Chris. It was it was a show of uh, incredible 43. It takes one-off guys who bear who knows whether they're clean or not. Nobody knows anything about these young guys when they come in, and you know Idoa wasn't able to show up on this day. He he ended up running pretty damn slow actually. So Adola, yeah, he was. Edola, close he was to like 2:30. Yeah, I was like, so I don't want to go into that right, but it's so uh, one-offs can get in there, but can anybody? He's shown no over, over the, for the last you know since 2013 years. yes he's since shown
0: 2013 th- he hasn't lost a marathon and and he's been brilliant in almost
1: all of his and marathons and the only
0: time he lost was in berlin in 2013 and he got second <laughs> to the world record holder. to wilson Kipsang, yeah. who ran the <laughs> world record, record that day that day <laughs> so he's run eight straight he's won eight straight marathon marathons seven of those that have, have been major marathons and that doesn't even count the breaking 2 project where he right. Basically won that race, too. So to me, you know, before I would have said, well, I, I want to see Kipchoge get the world record before I could say he's the goat marathoner of all time. But now after watching this race,
1: signed, sealed and delivered, Kipchoge is the goat. Yeah. So what do you make of these people who are hollering for him to run a real race like New York City or Boston? I mean, what do you what's your feeling on that? I, I don't think it changes his legacy as the greatest of all time. I think
0: it'd be awesome. Because it is different, I don't think. I, I would love to see him at Boston. I mean, to me, and you know, I think I think he might be in New York this year because you know, he was in New York this past year, and it, they were clearly trying to woo him. Yes, you can see he 20, was at the finish in line 20 for twenty seventeen. Yep. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I think I would love to see him there. I, I mean, just because I think it would extend his
1: legacy, but I don't think he needs it. Yeah, I, number one, I I I just think marathons are different. We all know that people run different courses at different races for different times and they all recognize that and those folks out there who don't it, one's not better than the other they're just different um and in head to head competition at the biggest on the biggest stage of all at the Olympic games Kipchoge took took everybody's punches and left them in the dust so I just think I would love to see him do it too Chris but I don't think he has any any he should only do it because it's how he wants – if he wants to run a beautiful race on a different kind of course. I would like right. – I do think both, both these – I just don't think anybody can beat him. I just don't think there's a person out there that can beat him right now. And and to say that in a marathon with all the variables, Chris, that's crazy to say. We just saw – we just saw Joffrey Karui, who we thought was the heir apparent and the one who could knock him off – get embarrassed out on that course <laughs> because he, he was hubris or stupidity or whatever it was. He just paid no attention to his conditions or his course and, and he died. But, um, could, would Kipchoge make that pr- mistake. No. no. And, and it wasn't balls. It was stupidity that in Karui's case, you know? <laughs> right. Um,
0: yeah, you, no, I mean, y- y- and you've, you've seen him one all, t- win all kinds of races in any conditions. He's in so much control physically and mentally. You know, I, 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 don't think there will be anyone challenging him for a while. I mean, to me, it's like you thought maybe Adola, but clearly Adola didn't get it done in London. So who's going to be the challenger? It's not Bakayi. Bakayi ran a. But a, a chump. I'm off the Bailey. Yeah. I'm off Team Bailey. It Bickele. took me a long
1: time to get off Team Bailey, but I'm off.
0: Bailey's riding off into the retirement sunset <laughs> and milking every appearance fee he can. I
1: mean, it's Joffrey Karui and maybe one of these and other. Maybe Farah. Yeah, some people are saying Farah after a, his that, performance. Is, so, what is, do you make of Farah's performance? I thought it was unbelievably. I was very impressed with it. I'm not a big. I'm not a big Mo Farah fan. I don't like the way he wins. I haven't I didn't like him in 08. I didn't like him in twelve. I didn't like him in sixteen and the way he wins and the sort of showboat mentality he has bothers me a little bit. It's good for the sport, but I don't really like it. But dude, he put up he put up at at this race and it was hot you saw him drift off the back how many times did he go off the back of that pack chris for a little bit only to slowly but surely rejoin and get back into positioning so he could be where he needed to be and that dude was in the hurt locker chris Mm -hmm. he was in the hurt locker from about 30k on and he held strong i mean the training that he did over this last cycle it was obvious that he is going to be good at the marathon um i think he will he be Able to beat a Kip a Kipchoge, I do think it creates a very interesting storyline going into Tokyo, going into 2019, and then going into Tokyo. Um, I don't think we'll see these two guys go head to head again until we get to the Olympic marathon. I'll be very surprised if they go head to head again. I think Mo learned enough on that course that he's now going to play. He's going to play the game and and dip, nip and tuck, and dot, bob and weave, and try to stay out of it so that on race day. Um, in a marathon scenario, will the race go slow enough for him to be able to take advantage of it? I do think you're going to have Joffrey Karui in there as well, um, and then who knows any of these new Kenyan and Ethiopians that might show up on that day. But Chris, I, I was big balls, as they've been talking about on the Let's Run Forum. I'm in I'm, I'm complete agreement with him. Again, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but I do think that that race was um, surprising and really encouraging for the state of marathoning on the men's side. What and do you, you gotta,
0: think? Yeah, well, and you got to give him props for getting the record, the British
1: record, by about fifty fifty seconds. Holy took, shit, that was a hard way to do it, wasn't took, it? <laughs> yeah, he took it from Steve. <laughs> Although Jones. it was easier than Steve's version, took Steve from went from out Steve even Jones. faster, didn't he? Or almost? No, uh, no, no, not no, as fast. Not as fast, right? So, but but not too
0: dissimilar. So Farrah went out two oh one, or sorry, one oh one, and then finished in one oh five. So he had a four minute positive split, whereas I think. Steve Jones's was more like a 202 or sorry 102 105 so a 3 minute positive split but uh, the world
1: record at the time of the mi- of the of the half marathon at that time was probably was already at w- it was only a minute off the world record you know but yeah but you crazy. Know, the,
0: to me the biggest thing here was the victories for mo will will be that he went with it you know he had a decision to make when he felt that pace going out too hot he had already had a decision to make potentially between two groups, you know, that first group and the second group. So he knew that coming in, and he had said afterwards that he was basically going to play it out in the race, depending on who went with which group. And he made the decision because there was only one group to go with it, and you got to give him credit for that because he, he could have backed off knowing that there was suicidal pace.
1: Because I think anybody could he have probably should have. Yeah, I mean, I I don't even know how it. His Gary Gary Lowe's his coach. I don't know what Gary was saying. He was probably screaming at his <laughs> at his monitor, trying to figure out a way to get in contact with him. Uh, but I I yeah you're right. I mean so it was going magical. with it
0: big win and then hanging on, you know, there were others that couldn't hang on and he held held it together very well considering. So you got to give him props. And getting on a podium in a major marathon like London,
1: especially with that field as we said it was one of the most stacked we've seen. That's a big deal. I so had an argument with one of my runners who said to me he's not a real marathoner. Kristen, <laughs> Mo Farah is a real marathoner. Yeah. I'm so sorry to tell this to you. <laughs> Um and and I'll I'll eat I'll eat my hat if I'm wrong. Uh, the next one. I'm not saying that he's gonna win. I'm just saying he's gonna be in the mix at the big races no matter what if he chooses to go for it. So
0: it will be interesting to see where he goes next. So we will see. But hats off to Kipchoge, Katada, and Farah on the London podium. On the women's side, the pace was hot too. The women actually went out in. 107.16, a little faster than their targeted pace of 107.30, which is actually nine seconds faster than the U.S. half marathon record set by Molly Huddle in Houston this past January. So that just gives you a little perspective on how fast they were rolling and how fast Paula Radcliffe ran back in 2003 at London when she ran 2:15. It's just insane, insane. And so initially, it was. Katani, DeBaba, and the pacemakers, that male pacemakers. And those guys
1: did their job, unlike the men's.
0: More or less. A little bit fast. A little but we'll fast, give, you know, but... 15 seconds is not as so cr- bad. Not as crazy as... Through the half, at least. Yeah. So, but DeBaba started falling back pretty early in the mix, and then Katani was on her own for a while, but then Katani started to
1: really fall off in the latter half of the race. And Dababa did a really good job when she fell off, Chris, for, for a while before 30K. I mean, I thought I was really, I remember thinking, wait a second, Dababa looked like she couldn't go, right? And just stayed in her zone when Mary went. And Mary didn't just go. It just it was just a subtle attrition. Yep. Subtle attrition. And it looked to me at that point like Dababa was trying to conserve to be prepared. Um, but no, we found out. Soon, then she started walking. <laughs> I mean, uh, she yeah, just she
0: was, stopped. She just stopped, yeah. She she clearly fell apart. And then, Katani, when the wheels came off, the wheels came <laughs> off fairly quickly. And that left the door wide open for who you basically called as your wild card, Vivian Chariot. We we've been talking about her as one of those athletes that you know is just going to be made for the marathon when she finally made the, the move full time. And I think she showed with this race, going out smart. She was about a minute behind at halfway, but ran relatively even split. She was a slight positive split in those warm conditions, but held it together really well. I think it was only 30 or 40 seconds, positive split. Ultimately came by Kataney
1: and got it done. I mean, just to remind our listeners who may not be on the up and up about Vivian Chariot, she's the Olympic gold medalist from 2016 in the in the 5000 beating um, Ayana and in a in a very big upset. in An upset that everyone thought there was just no way that that would happen. They were sure that Ayana would win it especially since she broke the world record in the, <laughs> world record in the 10k, in yeah. the 10K before it. Um, so she is known now as a as a scalp taker and as someone who Will run a smart race to get where she would, and this one just cements her. Chris, I mean, this was a phenomenal. This was a better win. I thought this was more impressive for her than Mo's race was for him. You know, this was a huge deal. She beat the two best. She beat the um, the babyface killer. She beat who we well who you and I have already described on this podcast as being the greatest female distance runner of all time, Um, and. At, at the marathon distance and then she beat Mary Kataney who at this point in time is for most everybody the current best world best marathoner in the world and she did it in a way that um, that was super impressive although we do have to say Chris these ladies were straight up ballsy this was <laughs> this was they did not back down from the mission that they had put out there the two of them went after it they worked together did you see them sharing water bottles Yep. On the course, yep. it was a it was a really cool display to me of 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 just this this spirit of core that's out there for these women and two different countries. But yet they recognized they needed each other for as long as they could possibly have each other. But I want to say one thing, Chris. I already had a lot of respect for Mary Cataney, but this race, I got huge amounts of respect <laughs> for her. Now I do have to caveat that with the fact that she got a check written to her for and fifty thousand dollars, a quarter of a million dollars, by finishing and beating Debaba. She needed to stay ahead. She had to beat Debaba because they tied, and she had to have a head to head to get her. Um, so there's a really good, compelling reason to be tough like that. But I thought she, I thought she ran an incredibly tough race over those final, um, those final K's and. Uh, I think she'll bounce back from this pretty well. I think she might not have the same hubris, but uh, I think they ran into a hot day. Do you think they would have got this time if they'd had better weather? Do you think they were... that they, they just didn't look like they were going to be able to get this record, Chris.
0: No, I think Kipchoge could have broken the world record, but I don't think Katani was going to get to the 215. I think uh, the women's only would have gone down for sure. But it wasn't on the tap. But it's... Because they you were know, paced, but, and Katania ran that last year in two seventeen oh two. To to drop another minute and a half in any for anyone in any marathon is huge, and for Katania, I think it's it's a bigger step than she's quite
1: ready for. And that that that, that but that wasn't the objective. I mean, their objective was two fifteen. Right. That's my point. Yeah. So I think I mean, they're
0: it, still a little bit <laughs> off of
1: that. Yeah, I don't think it's. Now, in fairness to the women, the record that is out there is so far was such such a performance that um, the men are not dealing with that anymore. They have been performance increases in the in the marathon to the level of that we've seen that we saw from um, Paula Radcliffe, but not currently. Um, we, we could probably name four or five people that we think, well, two or three people that we think could break the men's world record, but right now I don't see anybody other than a Vivian Chariot, maybe Debaba as she gets but they're still a little ways away. This is not going to happen um, in the next year, I don't think.
0: Right. It's going to take good conditions. But I think Chariot, with this race, sort of cemented the fact that she's there, she's the force to be reckoned with, ran the fourth fastest women's marathon of all time and to finish in 218 and change, is now only behind Debaba and kataini and Radcliffe on that all-time list and is relatively new to the marathoning game with
1: lots of speed so it's going to be interesting to see how she develops and she was a straight straight killer out there her face did you watch that she just no no joy until the final five meters i mean it was purely business she was on the business end of serving to the rest of the world that she is a force to be reckoned with in the marathon and um <coughs> i've been a vivian chariot fan for a long time i've I watched her row through the ranks and uh was beside myself in Rio when she won um, the gold medal and still, uh, I'm, I'm excited for this. And, and Chris, just the best just keep getting better. I mean, women's marathoning at this point uh, is just stupid crazy. I mean, the men's marathon stupid crazy. It's What a great time to be a fan of the sport, in my opinion. It's just a great time. For sure. Katani did hold on to get fifth in
0: 224 to earn the tiebreaker against D'Ababa in that World Majors Marathon Championships quarter quarter million dollar payday for a year's worth of marathoning is pretty awesome.
1: And it probably means a whole lot. I don't know. I hate to say this. But it seems to me it means a whole lot more to Mary Kataney than it will to D'Ababa. But who am I to say, right? I right. mean, they got pretty big contracts. Those ladies do, though. Guarantee <laughs> do. you. So G- Gladys Chirona, who I had picked on the
0: podium, she ended up fourth. And a couple of folks that we didn't name, Bridget Koski and Tadalek Bekele, ended up second and third in 220 and 221, respectively. They didn't have the same pedigree of, of the others that we had talked about, but clearly got it done, both in PRs for those two athletes. And it just goes to show you there's a lot of talent on both the men and women's side coming to the marathon at younger and younger ages because well, where that's where the money is and it's going to make it interesting all of these races because you just never know it also makes more impressive Kipchoge's run I was about to just
1: say it right. again I mean Chris I just I, I come away from this race thinking that it's not possible to have a better impression of Eli Kipchoge I just can't. And then I did. You see that video that that was on bouncing around on Let's Run of his workout that he did eight, yep. eight core, eight miles at half basically what we would consider for him half marathon pace, and then with a pretty short recovery, and then four four hundreds after that. And it's just a workman's approach. People are like you got to see this crazy workout, and I'm like, that's not a crazy workout. I comparatively, my team Rogue athletes, <laughs> we've done, we like have done that, that yeah, workout. Yeah. So to me, it's like. I, I, it's not that it was the least impressive workout, but to me, most impressive is this is how he trains. He keeps a steady, consistent load. Nothing flashy. He's not got flash. He's not got. He's got panache, but he's not got flash. He's the anti furrah right? He's the anti-ego uh, getter, and he is a straight-up assassin. I mean, I, I've. It's just, I, I don't know that we've seen this kind of domination since Mikaeli was dominating in the five and the ten. Uh, 10 years ago you know it, it, this is this is something on a level that i've never seen and as we talked about if if we do get to see him in some other marathon races and if he wins the olympic gold medal and gets a world record i, I mean it's just done mm-hmm. but he doesn't seem that concerned Just wants no. to run a beautiful run race a beautiful race <laughs> we
0: didn't talk about the american men we'll get back to that but on the uh, the women's side rebecca becky wade stephanie bruce finished 10th and 11 with stephanie in 10th And Becky in 11th, really solid top 11 performances for those two. I know they didn't get the times that they wanted. They were both in uh, the low 230 range, 232 and 235. But the heat, I think, got to both of those runners. What do you make of their races?
1: I mean, (coughs) I I think that they were solid, but it's hard to really say given the weather conditions. I mean, Mike, as you said, you had an athlete who ran London. I had an athlete that ran London. And uh, and they both indicated that it was a it was a shit show out there. It was a really, really tough day. And these are heat-acclimated runners who are used to that. We didn't have quite as many hot days this cycle um, as we have in the past. We've had pretty good weather here. But still, hard to say exactly how much the weather had effect. I do think um, for both of them, well, I think that was a really good race for – Becky, I think she needed another confidence booster. I think she's capable of more. I don't think this was that that was, it wasn't a bad performance for her. And I don't think it was a bad performance for Stephanie, but I do think we were hoping for more from her. I think we were hoping that we would be able to start talking about her in the conversation of being a real a real chance to be a person to represent the United States in 2020 in Tokyo in the marathon. But she seemed just th- on this race performance, Chris, she was a step away. She's she's not yep. there yet. Still not there yet. And she's getting, you go out there and run a race, and then Gwen Jorgensen gets more pub for her potential mm-hmm. half marathon. Uh, and it must be hard to to be a Stephanie Bruce and say, what else do I have to do to get people's attention? Um, well, evidently win a gold medal <laughs> in, mm-hmm. a different, uh, in a different event. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think solid performances from the two of them, but still really solid for Becky, but probably... I'm sure Stephanie walked away from that disappointed and maybe most disappointed that the conditions weren't set for her to have the kind of day she wanted.
0: Yep. Still two to watch though, as we get ready for the 2020 trials on the men's American side, Fernando Cabada did better than we gave him
1: credit yeah, we, for. Yeah, we talked smack. And we thanks did. to Jessica Head for calling us on it and saying, you haters, yep. follow follow Cabada. Find out about him. And I have not listened to the podcast that she recommended I listened to yet. We've been a bit busy here at Rogue doing a few things. But um, I'm looking forward to that, Jessica, and looking forward to having an opportunity to become a fan. I am, I am one who is always looking for warriors to uh, cheer for. So... I just was disappointed with um, l- multiple tough races <laughs> from him. So,
0: Kabata ended up 13th in 217 as first American. I don't know if he'd gotten his official trials qualifier yet, but he's got what it, it now. But it's done now. And Sam Chalenga, who we we had hoped more from, and who went out in 104, yeah. so on 208 pace that we had talked about, didn't didn't have a strong finish. Had a really... Slow second half for him, finished in 221 in 15th place. you got to give him props for finishing, but I know this isn't the race that Sam wanted. He's now sort of one of three in his marathon so far. So what do you think for him?
1: I don't know. Still a, it's still a story to be told, <laughs> in we my opinion. See. We will see. I'm not there yet. Work in process. Yes. Uh, he's still young enough and young enough in the marathon, And the thing I love about San I've watched him run many times. boy's a baller. He likes to race. He races tough. He races out front. He's willing to go for it. And I just hope that he, um, I I really would love to see him run really well. So
0: we'll see. Me too. I think the, the win for him here, especially after DNFing his first marathon, is the fact that he finished. My guess is he didn't want to finish after going out in 104 and then coming back. In a slower second half, my guess is he had moments where he wanted to walk off that <laughs> course, but he <laughs> but didn't. Yeah, which but is, he didn't, and yeah. that's that's a big deal for a marathoner, especially f- for the marathon mindset. So we'll see if that plays out positively for him in the future. But it was an epic day in London, and the next time we intro a podcast, we're gonna have to not talk about marathons, Steve, just to break it up.
1: Evidently we won't talk about pole volters either, but
0: <laughs> so there you go. That's our intro for today. We're gonna now turn to our discussion with Lee, Amanda, and Greg in following up to our purpose and practice series that we started. So here we go. All right, so we're welcoming Lee, Amanda, and Greg to the show, all together with us on the our uh our interface here that we use to connect people. So it's going to be crazy. It's going to be a little crazy. We've got five of us in the mix, which is the most we've ever had in a conversation. So quickly say hello, Lee, Amanda, and Greg.
2: Hi, guys. Hello. Hey, world.
0: <laughs> awesome. So uh, you'll remember that we had Lee and Amanda on our Purpose and Practice Part 1 episode, and we had Greg on our Purpose and Practice Part 2 episode to talk about their purpose, their statements of purpose and get some feedback and work through it with us. And so we've, we've got kind of that history. And if you want to go back and, and listen to those episodes first, I think they will be helpful. Although I don't think you have to necessarily listen to those. What we wanted to do now that Lee, Amanda, and Greg have all finished their goal races, we wanted to follow up on those purpose discussions and sort of get some feedback on how those conversations went after the fact as they digested them. And then, of course, what they carried with them into the rest of their training and into their goal races, we're happy to report that Amanda and Greg both got personal best times at the Coastal Delaware Marathon this past weekend. They ran together, which is so weird, ran so unusual, (laughs) meeting each other for the first time in person at the race. And then Lee was a part of the epic day, which was Marathon Monday in Boston, where you know the the clouds opened up and the winds were blown, blown from the gods. And so he had some chaos to deal with that ultimately resulted in him not getting his goal. But, but I think Lee learned a few things as a part of it. So we'll talk about that as we get to it. So first, and we'll kind of go in order of how those podcasts went. So we'll start with Lee. We'll put you on the hot, the hot seat. Firstly, first wanted to just get your perspective on listening back to yourself (laughs) When when, when you did, after that conversation, what did you reflect on? What did you think you learned from that statement of purpose conversation? And how did that make your statement of purpose evolve as that conversation sunk in?
3: Yeah. um, You know, it's funny. I I re-listened to to that podcast um, just yesterday um, after the Boston Marathon, obviously. And it really resonated more so yesterday than I think even before the Boston marathon. Um, but I think one thing, that, you know, if we want to talk about my state statement of purpose, um, my statement of purpose was not prepared for what I got on race day. Um, I think, um, you know, when, when I was making the state of, statement of purpose and when we were talking about it, um, I envisioned a situation where, you know, it was tough, tough going, but, um, I was still in the hunt for, for my goal time, you know, for the goal race. And what was I going to say, you know, in those critical moments and my statement of purpose was not ready for, uh, you know, the goals out of reach by mile seven, you know, like that was not, (laughs) I wasn't ready for that. Um, but coming back to it yesterday, you know, there were a couple of, couple of things in that statement of purpose that, I mean, I was really taken aback by one of them was, um, that whole, Statement about uh, feeling weak and strong at the same time, and and let me tell you, if you didn't feel weak and strong running that Boston Marathon, um, I don't know when you would. And um, you know, and the other thing that was in there that that really um, really changed a lot of my output on everything was was that I said, you know, I set high goals and I accept a certain amount of failure um, as a byproduct of that, and so that really when I heard that, when I heard myself of all people saying that to me, uh, I thought, well, um, yeah, this is just one of those things. It's a failure and I'm going to have to, maybe it wasn't even my fault, but I'm going to have to just suck it up and turn around and, and make something of it. So, um, so I I think I need to work on the statement of purpose just in case there's a real shit show out there, but, um, boy, it, it has come in handy in the last 48 hours for sure.
1: You know, Lee, you might, you are, uh, Listen to our podcast a lot, you might know this quote when I use it, but if it's real, it can take the pressure yeah. and what you ran up against was what is real in the scenario of a shit show day um, yeah. and I do think that at the end of the day, I do think that that's one of the crucial critical pieces of a statement of purpose is it has to be resonant and useful whether you're having a perfect day or you're having a perfect storm, and it has to it has to be something that's really real because you're going to Especially in command performance marathons, right? We do all this work for so long. You guys worked your asses off in this training program. I know you know you worked your butts off, and <laughs> it's it's you've got to be. You, you're you're talking about big stakes, even if they aren't big stakes on the global scale. They're big stakes on your scale, and you need a statement of purpose that will that will match that level of effort that you're going to put in, no matter what happens.
3: Yeah, no doubt. So one.
1: One question, follow
3: up
0: question for me, Lee, after we did that recording and you listened to it, did you go back and make changes to the written word you had on your statement
3: of purpose? Um, I didn't physically go back and rewrite it, um, but I definitely kept it in the back of my mind. And, um, you know, you guys mentioned having like a quick phrase or something to go back to. Um, Mine was um, relax, reset let's go and um to me the the let's go part said a lot you know just kind of a bear down and and be tough um and so in in some ways i did go back to it and um and and try to i don't know just reflect upon it make sure i could re-remind myself why i was in this and and uh, everything else but i'm not one of those guys like it's not hard to get me up at four in the morning for a hard workout like i'll just go it's easy that mm-hmm. part, that part for me is easy um the hard part is is now after the race is over um whether it went good or bad like how am i going to get back on the horse how am i going to re motivate myself and and sort of stay, stay in the game so
0: yeah well it sounds like you're already on your way to getting yeah. back in the game well, let's turn to amanda amanda was our second discussion in that series and some ways we got to similar places you know with you lee and amanda but amanda as you reflected on it in that moment after we recorded that what was your takeaway what was your reaction and how did you use that
4: um well going back and listening i realized that mine definitely could not take the pressure it was um it did not hold up at mile 21 the way that it was written the first time Um, and then as i went through and and we looked at it, there was a lot of feelings in there. I like, I love, I feel. Um, and as we all know, your feelings at mile six are not the same feelings that you have at mile 21. So to have something that was stronger than just a feeling. Um, so to, what I did was I just kind of stripped it down um, and focused on um, I am, I have, I've done Like just really small statements within that um, that spoke more to just the core versus the feelings.
0: I like it. You and you are Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) So when you you your race in Coastal Delaware, you and Greg, who we'll get to in a second, were running together, stayed together through twenty miles. You had a plan to hopefully break three hours, but didn't get that done. You you finished in three oh five, still a three minute PR but had some stomach issues late in that race were you yeah. were you diving back into that in your head when when the the stomach got queasy
4: you know it's funny because it almost made me laugh because everything else felt good so i was prepared for those statements for when i started to feel really awful but like my legs felt good my head was still in the game it was my stomach that wasn't holding up and so it was like really this is not what i planned for um so yeah, I mean it was just like okay, stay in this, you know, control what you can control and just get it done.
1: So. Yeah, I do think the other thing that happens with the statement of purpose. I mean, is that I'm very confident that when you come came across the finish line, your ability to deal with your disappointment was much greater than it would have been if you hadn't it was do you think if you if you hadn't prepared for a statement of purpose? Do you believe that to be true or do you think that it, it it when your stomach goes bad, there's just nothing you can do about it, oh well. You know, does it, does it, did it help you deal with that? That less than optimal finish line experience, even though you PR'd, even though anybody, normal person would tell you, come on girl, that was great, given the circumstances.
4: Yes, I do think it helped. I think it, because again, it wasn't based on feelings, it was based on what I knew to be true. Like, I am a competitor, I am strong, I did the work, and so... All of those things, when I crossed the finish line, were still true, no matter what the clock read. So, yeah, you know what I of, do. One think- of my
1: athletes at the starting line of the Boston Marathon, she has this new thing. She's, she's, uh, she takes. She has a candle, a Mexican. Um, like a Mexican uh, santeria candle or something that she's put a picture of Kipchoge on and a uh, and a and, a, and a, a sticker that says team rogue and she light lit it at the starting line of the at the finish line of the Boston Marathon as a as in a, in, a, in a funny but silly way you know of saying um, I, I, I need to make my my offerings to the marathon gods and it's one of those days no matter what your world view it, it, in a sense it's it's funny and laughable and like whatever but in a sense it's almost like as humans, do we have that need to, do we just know that there's just those things we can't control and it is what yeah. it is. Right. <laughs> it is. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you, you know, as a coach, when we're watching the tracking, you know, there's always, and you see someone miss the goal, <laughs> there's there's probably fear and trepidation that you can't really
1: explain well they see, should have seen you see on <laughs> they should have seen you on Sunday track Sunday oh, before yeah. was, we were tracking Scott on his race. Chris, he was missing his paces. If you guys watched him, he was missing it. And I was just like, Hmm, shit sandwich. And then Chris is like stalking the room, try like l- opening the opening the every door he can open, like <laughs> looking out the window, trying to distract himself from the fact that he knows that his athlete is struggling and suffering and dying and there's nothing he can do about it. And I'm like, hmm been there <laughs> so yeah so that's the way I get
2: it. yeah he does
4: you know what I think was also really great for me during this race is because I did run so much of it with Greg and seeing how he was still so strong when I started to not feel well um made me really excited to get to the finish line too and to check in and see how he did um and I think it's it was that teammate aspect um that you know we cross the mats you know people are or cheering for you or tracking you or watching you and so you know I, I think that that also helped with my disappointment to know that he got what he wanted
0: speaking of greg let's let's go to greg who did get what he wanted he got his boston qualifier first boston qualifier and a pr of 301 congrats on that greg
2: three zero zero fifty i'm oh, sorry sorry yes yeah, so <laughs> yeah i, I could I, I almost i almost like I gave him the devil eyes. Oh yeah, me he deb- the devil eyes. I was, round, <laughs> I was rounding up. Don't my, steal my ten my seconds. Bad. You can you, you can round down, but not up.
0: <laughs> I love it. So so same question in terms of the statement of purpose. After you listened to yourself back and reflected on the conversation that we had at the time, what did you take from it, and did did that change how you thought about your statement of purpose?
2: Yeah. So there are a couple of points that were uh, really valuable to me. Steve mentioned that uh, when we started talking about addiction and and that sort of thing, and um, Steve mentioned that I control this, that I'm in control of this race, and and I can control the variables or the – I can control the controllables, meaning that I can control the training. I can control my diet, my rest, my recovery, nutrition, sleep. Um, And so I really went into the race with that mindset of i control this that was that was huge for me and then another a point that you made in that first conversation was that the old me from 10 years ago is no longer my point of reference and uh throughout training for after that conversation for the rest of training i just kept going back to chicago was my last race and i PR'd there by about 10 minutes and i got under the boston qualifying time and i I knew that I was, I can endure and I can suffer and I can push through the pain. And so I use that as my reference point. I I was no longer thinking that I'm the 250 pound guy living in misery. I'm a, I'm a different person and that's the person that I'm going up against and giving myself all of the benefit of this new training program and coaches for the first time, a group, a group atmosphere. So uh, those Two points were really huge for me, and and really changed my my mindset going into the race.
0: That's awesome. And then, how did how does it feel now when you get it when you get it done when you get the goal? How how does that feel now?
2: Oh, it was amazing. I had um, I had my stepdaughter was at the finish line, where they all had signs out. My sister and her kids and her husband and uh, and my wife were at they were all at the finish line and. As I was running by, I saw them from about 100 yards out or 100 meters out, and I, I just started pumping my fists and yelling, "We did it! We did it!" And like I, I mean, I wasn't planning on that, doing that, anything like that. I was planning on just kind of going by, but like, I couldn't hold it in. I, I had no, I knew I was going to push for that time, push to get to as close to three, three hours as possible, but I really. In my mind, I had a little bit of a buffer that I knew that I could get the qualifying time if I was at 305. I thought that I was probably in 302, 303 shape. So I was just ecstatic getting, like coming down that final stretch. And I mean, I've been on, on a cloud since then. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the Boston, getting into Boston uh, was something that I thought I'd be chasing until I was 60 years old. And it's just amazing that it, that it happened now.
1: Going back to your to your statement of purpose and, you know, Greg, you you and our in that interview that we did, um, everybody, you know, all three of you guys had to go to a a bit of a dark place. But I thought you you really dove deep. Now, you're also somebody who's um, really you've you've the challenges you've gone through in your life are ones that you've lived outwardly for people to see maybe a little bit more than Lee and Amanda have. But I'm curious as to that state. That after you finish that statement of purpose, how you see that statement of purpose informing not just your running life, but your life life. What what uh, have you had? Have you been able to reflect on that statement of purpose in other aspects beyond the running? Or does it really sit neat and tidy in just the running world that you that you, you that you occupy?
2: No, I think that it's a important point, especially. I mean the point of reference i I often go back to thinking of myself as how I was uh before before recovery and before I started running and out of shape I, so in my mind, my mind still works the same way as that old the old version of myself um, so using the new point of reference in all aspects of my life has been has been a huge help um, just just builds confidence and and I know that I can do things that I 10 years ago would have never thought of doing. Um, I mean, I want to start helping in the community. This is like, those are, those are things that I just never would have done. And, um, and I do know that I I am in control of certain things that before I had no control over. And those two things are are huge in, in all aspects of my life. And it's something that is now, now that it's brought to my attention, I can go, I can go to that all the time.
1: Amanda, how about yourself? Have you found that that statement of purpose has resonance beyond your running life?
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, um, again, like I said, to strip it down and take the feelings out of it um, applies to all all kinds of different areas in your life and that are challenging. And um, I can say with certainty that I can control what I can control and the rest of it can fall away.
1: Yeah I learned a lot from your your struggle with that in your statement of purpose episode because I've spent my career working with athletes always telling them um that their feelings are irrelevant and then leaving it at that and not watching them struggle through what you struggle through and saying well they're relevant but they're not they're not helping. Right. And, right. um, yeah. you gave me another language for that, that allowed me to say, all right, I do, we do, we can get practical applications out of this feelings are irrelevant quote or, or idea. And you, we have to, or else it's just, Oh, I see that, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't play.
4: Right. Right.
1: Well, in the SOP, the statement of purpose is supposed
0: to be the foundation, the roots, the, the thing that doesn't change the core. And so I think your description of that language shift is really important because yeah, the feelings are going to happen. They're going to come, but, and, and, and in least case, the failure is going to come too, but the core doesn't change. The reason for being and doing and training doesn't change. What about you, Lee?
3: Yeah. I mean, I might flip that on its side a little bit and just say that my, my life is more a reflection of my statement of purpose than the, than than the flip of that, you know, um, after the Boston marathon, a friend, an old friend of mine from college sent me, he texted me a message saying, you know, sorry about the race, but he was looking at the splits and he was like, yeah, typical Lee Brendel still going for it, even though the <laughs> rain, 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 rain. And, and the, of course you flame out in the second half. I was like, Oh yeah, that's, the way it goes, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think over the years I've just learned that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it and just accept the consequences if it doesn't work out. And um, so, yeah, I, I, that's that's not just in running for me. That's in a lot of things. I mean, not to say it's like ruining my life or anything like that, but I'm, you know, I'll go for it, and uh, if, as long as the consequences aren't too dire, you know, I don't wind up in jail. Uh, so I'll I'll go for it and it's going to be fine.
0: <laughs> and, and to be fair to you, your coaches did tell you to stick to the plan. <laughs>
3: That's true.
0: Yes, we did. <laughs> On the worst of days. Well, let's just talk about that for a second, Lee. Just for those that maybe weren't in those conditions and didn't run Boston, what was it like? And did you did – you, were you in uh, – at the school – in the main athlete's village or did you have a private bus?
3: No, I was in the athlete's village for about two hours and 45 minutes. Uh, okay.
0: So start there and just explain what you went through that day just to give context.
3: Sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the athlete's village, there are these large tents and and they'll keep you out of the rain, but the sides are open to the air. Right. And, uh, to give you some idea of what it was going on. So the rain would come down and hit the tent And it would roll off the side of the tent. And then when it hit the ground, um, it was freezing. And so all around the tent were like these little like five inch high, maybe not five inches, but a couple inches high little ice dams. So that's the weather we were dealing with, right? Um, And we were, I was pretty prepared. Like I smuggled a uh, a sleeping bag and some of those little uh, (laughs) chemical hand warmers and things like that. So I was still cold, but I wasn't like miserable cold. There were some people that just showed up uh, in their singlets and like a space blanket and they were, their hands were shaking too badly to like tie their shoes. I I mean, it was really pretty bad. And um, for me at least, you know, we were at the starting line. This is kind of funny. And I'm, you know, taking off many, many layers of clothing and like the rain died down and the wind died down just a little bit. And I started thinking to myself, I think it's going to be okay. I was like, I think I'm going to get two and a half hours of a break. And then the gun went off and like, woo shit. It all started right back up. So, yeah, um, But it was cold and it was windy. Um, I never, not for one step did I ever get loose. I had like a little, I have like a little groin pole and, And it really does a lot better if it's warmer outside and it never loosened up. And I never felt like I was in a groove. Um, My first mile split was like seven flat um, and it, it might as well have been six flat. Like it felt just as hard. It, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And so I, my thought process was that um, I was just going to stubbornly hit some splits and hope that I started feeling better. Uh, and that the rain would let up and that the wind would let up and it just never did. And I, I don't think I checked my watch after like mile eight or 10 or something like that. I just stopped looking cause I knew it wasn't going to be good. So it was a rough day for sure.
0: How were you at the finish? Did you, were you able to get warm quickly or you, were you one of those that ended up in the tent?
3: No, I did not end up in the tent, which my wife was just so happy about. Um, because it does happen from time to time. Um, when I finished, um, you know, by the time I hit mile 24 or 25, I, I had already gone through like the five stages of grief and I was fully (laughs) in acceptance of what was happening, you know? And, uh, so like, I fully enjoyed the finish line, like put my hands up, kind of get the crowd going and stuff. Um, but when I crossed the finish line, like I knew I was going to devolve pretty quickly. So I was still kind of in like a pseudo jog all the way to the, um, the gear check because i was like i cannot get cold and be cold for the next half an hour and so um we got back there and they were they were pretty understaffed at least in our little spot of the gear check and i wound up like hopping the 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 little tables and just going in there and search helping the volunteers search for bags like i found three other people's (laughs) bags before i found my own and then i got out of there but uh but i was able to grab my things kind of get warmed up and head back to the hotel, um, in a reasonable amount of time, which is, which is lucky.
0: So I I can, I can relate to having those five stages of grief when I had to walk the last four miles of Boston. Yeah. So talk about that. What, what, what went through your mind from mile eight to 25 before you accepted what was happening?
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know exactly all the five stages of grief, but I know there was definitely some anger in there right around mile 13 where, you know, when you're in good shape, you can fake marathon pace for a pretty long time. You know what I mean? Like I could hit six twenty, and in my heart, I knew that is not marathon pace, even though that's what the watch was saying, you know, it was harder than that. So I was totally denying that any of this stuff was happening. Right. And then, uh, and then I got angry because I was like, ah, shit, this is not going well. And, um, and I was, And, you know, I don't know if I bargained at all in there, but, but I was, there was a while I was, you know, probably, uh, probably right in the Newton Hills where I was pretty dejected. And I was like, you know, God, you know, and and I was thinking about all the things that I should be thinking of, uh, but in a totally different light, I was saying to myself, you know, man, I worked all this time I had, you know, my training schedule with you guys was nearly perfect i mean i can only think of one workout that did not go well and I, you know i didn't miss any days like this just doesn't happen you know and uh and i was mad about it i was just like damn it this is wasted you know i just felt it was totally wasted um blamed myself for a while and sort of resigned myself that there wasn't much i could do at this point and and once that happened you know like that was probably with another two or three miles to go um I stopped pressing. I just was was like, you know what? Eight minutes is fine. I'm going to clap some hands. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to wave You know, at the crowds and finish up with a smile on my face. And that's kind of what I did.
0: Well, kudos to you for that. Yeah. Because as we said on our Boston recap, getting to the line was a victory for many and certainly getting to the finish line. Yeah. We know that as you mentioned, you had a really good cycle. I mean, I remember seeing some of your splits posted in our Facebook group on some of those workouts and you were just absolutely crushing it. And because you and I are similar paces, I can very closely relate to what you were <laughs> doing and and the work that you put in and, and just, you're absolutely killing those workouts. So we and you were both confident about your potential. And then, you know, the the weather had other plans, but talk about your transition into this group and how much of a change was it? What changed for you and how did you kind of work through that as you ramped into the program?
3: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I was on teams in high school and college and since then, not really at all. So it was really comforting to have, um, other people through the podcast kind of bouncing ideas off of sending encouragement, um, having some accountability, uh, on those cold days, uh, was really helpful for sure. Um, as far as the training goes, I mean, you guys definitely have some great insights, but you're pretty straightforward. I, you know, I was worried that, uh, when I signed up, I was like, "Oh, what if they, you know, what if they have me skipping my easy days and instead doing yoga or something crazy? And I was like, then I'm not going to buy in, but you know, it's all, you guys are, um, pretty, pretty much pitches down the middle as far as I can tell. Right. I'm great workouts and, uh, really challenging workouts too. So, um, I've been nothing but happy with, with how, how the training cycle has gone right up until April 16th. It was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, Uh, very happy with it.
0: I always say there's training results and racing results. And in an ideal world, those things sing happy song together, but they don't always, unfortunately in this case, they didn't.
3: Yeah, well, it happens. Um, I just have to not get too anxious to come back and get injured um, so that I come back the right way. And um, I think I just have to set my mind as though, like act as if things went well and treat myself as though I ran a 245 or better and be ready to crush it in December. That's, that's kind of where I'm going from
2: here.
1: And, you know, Lee, that's, that's something that um, – In any other endeavor, in any other race distance other than the marathon, I would tell people, do not do that, do not do that. But in the marathon, we have to because there's just no way after the kind of effort that you put in at Boston that we can regroup, retool, get ourselves ready four weeks, eight, six weeks later. Things are not going to always line up. I've done it occasionally for people who wanted to get a Boston qualifier. I've allowed that to happen but you just have, but it, but it almost always goes wrong. Yeah. And, um, you just have to believe. And that's one thing that Chris and I can tell you from our experiences, coaching thousands of runners who have been in the same position that you have is that it does, you are what your training indicated you were ready for. Now you do have to earn that, right? You don't get to just <laughs> get it, right? You yeah. have to earn it, but you don't have to adjust training significantly. In fact, in my opinion, it's do we double down? How much do we double down? How much further down do we go? What what steps do we want to take from there? But we'll save that for another discussion.
3: Yeah, you and I are of the same mind because I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, am I just going to repeat the last 20-week cycle or do I put ramp it up a little bit and, and see if I can
1: what shoot for think? bigger things? What so. do you think we're going to say?
3: <laughs> um, so – if it was, if I was being my own coach, we're going to ramp it up. I'm probably going to get um, more miles in this summer and be ready to um, hit some more, more ambitious things in the fall. That's my guess. Yeah, we would. I
1: giddy think. Up. Well, I would say the same. I'm sure. I'm pretty giddy sure up, Chris would. Giddy up. Yep. So,
0: yep. Amanda, similar question. In terms of, were there adjustments for you adapting to the programming, and how did you roll with that?
4: Um. Yeah, there were some adjustments. I, I loved the workouts, I will say. I think I before was doing workouts that were kind of uh, monotonous and same week in, week out. And so I loved having the different workouts and they were challenging, um, but fun. And I loved having uh, the accountability um, to do those workouts. So that was a, the adjustment, I think, for me is before there was no one really checking in on me. If I was doing it or not,
0: mm-hmm. the group would the group wouldn't let you. <laughs> right, right. What's going on? It's like that was awesome to see all the posts. What about for you, Greg? I know we exchanged a bunch of emails before you got into the program about your ambition. But did you have to make any adjustments to get into it? And what did you learn through that?
2: Yeah, so my training with the group was uh, totally different. I had never been coached before. I'd never had any like formal running training. Um, I've always been like trial and error, which would end up with injury or a good result. Um, 50, 50, 50, 50 pretty much on, on how it would work out. And I'd be reading off of a piece of paper. I think for my last marathon, I I was, I bought like a training plan off the internet for $10 or something. And I followed it step-by-step, but I didn't have any feedback. And the group gave me that feedback and Having runners that have experience to to spot check you and tell you you're on the right path or uh, on an off day to keep your head up was just a huge benefit to me. The the constant feedback loop was was really beneficial.
0: Did any of you? I don't think any of you really struggled with injury. If I'm I know Lee had a pretty perfect cycle. Amanda, did you have any injury issues or? Or, or points where you questioned whether or not you could handle the load.
4: No, and that was one of the things that was really great to take into my race in my head is just that I, I didn't miss any workouts. I didn't struggle with injury. You know, I was able to really, to kind of check all the boxes on the way there, so I felt confident in my training in that way.
2: I ended up. I think we were. Go ahead, Greg. I ended up having. I had early in January. It was a down week. Uh, drop week and uh, on a on a short, long run on a Sunday, I I could tell when it happened I stepped on the outside of my foot the wrong way and I knew immediately that it would either be nothing or it would be something really annoying. So I just I ended up having a strained tendon in my foot for a lot of January, actually all the way into early March, but it was not bad enough that I, that I couldn't run on it. It was probably a three or a four in on the on the scale of one to ten in pain. And then um, I kept hearing you say, blood flow equals recovery or and to keep moving. And, and just one day I was out for a run and I was like, wow, my foot doesn't hurt anymore. So that was also, I, I thought I was going to have to pull the plug in at some point in January from the training because my the history I've had with injury, it just doesn't usually get better that quickly. So hearing your, uh, your feedback on that was, was huge also. So I just didn't push it on certain days that it felt, it felt bad, but I got the miles in and it was really helpful.
0: Yeah. Movement equals blood flow yeah. equals healing that's, that's, that's <laughs> the I say it all the time. Yep. So as you reflect on what you've learned and we'll start with Lee here, as you reflect on what you've learned through the cycle, through your goal race, what are the key takeaways that we haven't already maybe discussed that you take to the next cycle?
3: Uh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> to the next, so, you know, be ready for anything. You know, I think you mentioned, I think it was in the podcast about dealing with disappointment. I don't think Amanda or Greg are going to mention this, uh, cause they had great races, but, um, you had like the Buddhist monk quote that said, you know, uh, you are not guaranteed an outcome, right? So you shouldn't you shouldn't start in on on a process uh, because of the outcome, but instead just for the joy of the process itself. And so, um, you know, I've thought about. I wish I could remember that quote exactly. Maybe you do it, but um, you know, I'll jump into it and I'll be ready to go. But um, I think I have to. Not be afraid of a bad race day, and I certainly have been um inundated with that you know i've I've been sort of hit with that now, and I think if I get a bad race day in december uh, I'll know exactly how to deal with it, so I can train without that fear i'll just say okay i'm I'm ready to go, no matter what happens, and if that doesn't mean I hit my goal time then then that's fine, you know there's always another marathon around the corner, and i'll I'll hit the next one after that
1: Lee the most amazing thing about that feeling is. There's another side to it, which it creates much calmer start line experiences, you know, because you're, you know, you, you had a pretty good start line experience because all you can do is just laugh at the absolute <laughs> absurdity of the situation that you were in. Absolutely, <laughs>
2: uh,
1: But that's not always the case, especially if you're someone who, who, who is into the command performance idea, which I know you are, and someone who put invested a whole lot into the process and into your intent with it. But I do think that you'll find at the next race, when you line up, your experience going to that starting line and your experience on the starting line will be cooler, calmer, and much more focused. And you'll be in that mindset of just being able to take what the race gives and knowing in those narrow windows of opportunity that occur, you'll be fully ready to do it. And you'll be able to go through the things you need to go through to get that final result. And, you know, you're worthy now. Right. And, you know, you're a badass, as we talked about. It's just how bad an ass are you?
3: (laughs) Well, look, I mean, there's there's pressure in getting a good day, too. Right. I mean, if it's 50 degrees and calm and slightly overcast, that's a perfect day. And you have to be at the start line going, man, I better not waste this day. Right. There's there's a different kind of pressure that that comes from that. But I think you have to be ready for either one. Otherwise, it's going to be it's going to be trouble.
0: I had the perfect day in Houston and felt that pressure for sure. Yeah. It's like, well, if I can't do it today, then I'm never going to be able and to. And your do
1: statement it. of purpose came right into play, Chris, the same yeah. way because you had to go back there and you went to who you were doing it for, your why, as we talk about this on this podcast all the time, and you were able to to get through that 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 mo- those few moments that were that were really where it was touch and go.
0: Yep. One thing I want to also just to talk about you, you with you Lee is there were some times and we called you out on it on the podcast, <laughs> podcast where, you know, you're one of the few in the group that had the real background in speed and shorter distances that would come out and rear its ugly head sometimes in workouts where you got a little crazy. Any lessons from that in terms of sometimes having to hold back in this game?
3: Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, I'm getting a little older, uh, you know, I'm 41 and, and if, if I, if I go out too hard and destroy a workout, um, that can ruin my week in a hurry. Right. I mean, those little, those little sore days don't go away, uh, in, in six hours like they did when I was 21. Right. So, um, you definitely have to be careful. And I appreciated you guys calling me out, especially on that 10 K workout, um, the week before the marathon, 10 days before the marathon, because. Even with your warning, my first two splits were just way too fast. And I, um, and I was just, I could just hear you guys in my head the whole time. And I, and I thought to myself, man, I'm going to have to post this workout and I don't want to get called out in another podcast. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, It it was a preemptive call out warning. So that's awesome. Amanda. What about you? What lessons do you take away from this training block and race experience?
4: Um, I learned a lot. I feel like this training block, I learned uh, there's no shortcuts. You just have to do the work. Um, That staying strong mentally is just as important as staying strong physically. So really worked on pushing doubt aside throughout the entire training cycle. Um, And then learning to suffer better. I think that There are a lot of times, especially there are certain workouts that I can think back to specifically that I thought that I couldn't do anymore, but just finding that gear, leaning into the suffering and then completing it, um, and then letting that workout kind of help build my confidence through the cycle.
0: You know, Amanda, they just announced this week, the location of the 2020 marathon Olympic trials. I don't know if you saw that it's going to be in Atlanta when yeah. We were going back and forth with <laughs> you. We kind of avoided. We didn't go to this topic with you the last time, but I think we're gonna do it now because why not? Oh, he's
1: gonna do it. He's been <laughs> dying to do this oh to you.
2: Like,
0: you know, <laughs> as we went, as we ran down those questions of you know, can you run 25 x or whatever? You you uh, showed some some confidence there, and rightly so for some big goals that might be lingering is. Is there a trials goal out there for you?
4: I think that would be a very cool thing to happen. That's a yes. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> yeah, Greg, call her call her uh, out. Yes. It. It's
4: a I mean, it's a big, hairy, audacious goal, right? It's something yeah, I mean, I think that would be awesome. And I would I want to continue to work and 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 plug away and um, do all the work that I can do to see if if that's a possibility.
1: Cool, and we. I want you to know as a a person who. Um, I coach a lot of women, and and have coached men too to Olympic trials qualifiers, and also to people who are currently, um, who started further behind than you are now, who are now in the, you know, who run, you know, very really close to two fifty even in terrible weather conditions. Um, it's, it's not putting that out there. Isn't something that puts pressure on you as long as you're, as long as you're clear in your reasons for wanting it. Right. And you know, our, our experience with you on the podcast training group has been just seeing your balance and seeing the kind of person that you are, and the way you live your running life. Um, you don't, it doesn't have to be a big bold declarative statement. It just has to be what you just said. And if you stay the course, do the work, consistently stay stay healthy and consistently stay focused on the thing that you want. And you let that ember burn. It doesn't have to be a fire. It just has to be an ember. It'll it'll take you so much further than you know. And it's also an amazing gift. The men in our groups don't really ever have the opportunity they just they're just so much further away from those goals than some of our women are and that's a privilege but it's also a responsibility so I just wanted you to know that it's good what making that statement is is not just it's not just a scary thing it's a really good thing and you'll be surprised over time how um how beneficial that'll be now I might not have called you out on a podcast like this, the way that Chris did, believe it or not. But I uh, I appreciate that he did. He actually shocked me when he did that. I, he, we had talked about, uh, months ago, we talked about whether or not that was reasonable. And I was like, damn straight, it's reasonable. Like I, I want to talk about it right now. But I've also learned that you, you got to work towards it. And I think you knew at some point in time, we were going to corner you and poke a stick at you, right?
4: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it would be on a podcast, but... Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, so, now the world
0: knows. Yes. I do think, Steve, that there's a conversation to be had offline with Amanda <laughs> about, about the steps towards that, if it's a real goal. And I, I believe that it is. And you know, because time is short yeah. for 2020 at least. And yeah. so that's not to add pressure, it's just to say we need to be very specific about the steps that we take along the way. And and if if we want to have a big shot for that we've got to think about it just a little bit in terms of planning of where it could play out. So anyway, that's a conversation to take offline, but I'm glad I was able to pin you down on it here. <laughs> yes,
2: thank
0: you. <laughs> and you got to know that you got two believers at least in Steve and I and I believe They're probably dead. Lee and Greg are on the same boat too. So
2: De- Definitely.
0: All right, Greg. So for you, what lessons do you take away from this experience?
2: Uh, I take away that it's a, it's a lot more enjoyable doing this, going after this training with people. I've done all of my training alone. Uh, It's been very uh, solitary and running a lot of hours by myself and um, just to be able to have the times, the, the workouts um, posted and everybody being able to see them and comment and, and just the feedback that's been, that's been huge for me. And then, going into the race day, when, when you, Chris, when you suggested that Amanda and I run together, I, I really, like I said, I've done all of my miles pretty much by myself. I've run races with people, but we've never been on the same, at the same paces. And so I would go off and do my own thing and meet people at the finish line, but actually going out and running a race with somebody was like super enjoyable. And it was, it it just made the time go by so much faster. And for, us to be able to check in with each other just looking over and we're good right we're good and then like and keep going without having to be stressing looking at your watch every two seconds knowing that we're keeping the pace together I mean that was that was so helpful and especially in a small race like Amanda and I ran um, we mentioned on the on the I mentioned on the Facebook page that there were a couple of times that it was just us out there like there were 10 or 12 people ahead of us but they were a good distance ahead of us. And we were running through this state park that was totally empty. And if we weren't out there together, my concentration would have been gone. I would have been, I would have been in the woods mentally. And I I might've even got lost out there. I don't know. So it was, uh, it was just really pleasurable to have throughout training people there. And then on race day, really helpful to have Amanda out there.
1: You know, guys, when you guys told me you were running that race, I summered um, like a month for like eight years in the Rehoboth Beach area, and I did. I was a competitive runner through all of those years, and I knew you guys were in for something different. <laughs> it's, it's. There's not a lot out there, you know, and I knew that's not a lot of people out there, especially this time of year. So, um, kudos to you guys for. I almost mentioned something about it, but then I was like, my experience might be different from yours, especially on a race day. But you know, it's uh, it I would train there in the summers, and it was very, very difficult. But it's, it's, I think that those that's a key component that I think you know in this in all group training programs, it's really magical when people are able to go travel to destination races with the people that they train with, and this is a real concern, Chris, and I had about the podcast training group and whether. Those things would make or take and it would it work would, it would, if it would work and the fact that the two of you were able to make that happen again is just another another thing that it really encourages us in this process of seeing how much an impact we can make with these with this potential podcast training group and how that plays out and how we divide it up and how we group people and how we do all those things we don't know yet we're we'll We'll be thinking through it. We'll be asking people's advice through that process, but the fact that you guys were able to take it live and make it work together in that environment was so encouraging to Chris and I. I mean, I don't think I don't know that you guys even know how much you have given us in our process of thinking about what this could be. Um, We couldn't have asked for a better group of people, and we couldn't have asked for people who were more willing to adopt the warrior ethos that we try to implement. But we try to encourage everybody to do.
2: It it was also. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Amanda.
4: No, I was just going to say uh, specifically to the group and not being um, physically with people. As a mom of young kids and a husband that travels, it's hard for me to physically be somewhere at the same time for workouts week in, week out. And so, this group, even though we we weren't all together, we were doing the same workouts. And you know, some people would do them on Tuesday mornings or Tuesday night or Wednesday mornings. And that didn't matter. Nobody was missing out on being together because we were still doing them together. So that was an aspect that I really enjoyed is that flexibility of having the cohesiveness of the group, even though we weren't physically together.
2: Yeah, I was going to say something similar as well. That's My schedule is different every day. I never know if I'll be able, I, I try to get up in the morning and get my run in, but with a, with a child at home, a six-year-old home and a uh, wife in nursing school that's studying around the clock, it's really difficult to if i don't get that morning running my i might throw my whole running schedule off for push it back a day or whatever it may be but it was always like running with with the group even though i was doing workouts alone and on race day it was just awesome to have bob and amanda there and we all had our rogue gear on so we we were really like uh really representing as a team out there which felt great too
0: you know it's I got an email this week from somebody who ran a PR at Coastal Delaware and she mentioned seeing the Rogue the Rogue logo out there on several runners and uh and was just she was thanking us for some things from the podcast but but she was like that was so cool to see the Rogues out there at Coastal Delaware and so thanks to you guys for representing that was that's pretty awesome
2: thank you great
0: Now, one thing that fascinated me, you know, we've done some virtual programming before through online, other online mechanisms, but we've never, and we've always been able to convey training information, but we've never been able to build the community and accountability that we were able to build with this group, which is as much a credit to the group members as it is to Steve and I, but... and we'll. I'll take this to Lee. One of the things that, to me that was fascinating as you guys were posting workouts is it seemed like there's momentum building. You know, somebody would get it done first and post their workout and then somebody else would go next. And, you know, sometimes they hit it and sometimes they didn't, but everybody would learn from it. And so what was it like, even though you're not physically running with the same, this group, you're still connected to the fact that they're doing it or that they've done it before. What was that like for you, Lee?
3: Um, it was actually you know, as Amanda and Greg alluded to, it's, it's really helpful to, to know that you are going to post that out there and you are accountable for it. And you're going to show the world, um, good or bad. I know I had one or two bad, some stinkers out there. And, um, even though I wasn't super proud of them, I felt that it was just important, just as important to post the bad ones as the good ones so that, um, you know, if somebody else had a bad day, you know, it was going to be okay. Um, But it was really, especially with the weather we had, and I'm forgetting who it was that posted that ridiculous photo (laughs) after they came in from like 10 degrees below, uh, you know, at five in the morning. Um, But, uh, you know, I felt like, well, if they're going to get out there in this cold weather, then I better get out there too. And there was just a lot of camaraderie. And and I think it showed too, um, you know, when I met up with some of the other podcast group uh, before the Boston Marathon, you know, um, I mean, Ron Romano and I were talking like we were old friends we'd never met each other you know we just jumped right into conversations it's really
1: I think Ron Romano talks to Christmas trees like (laughs) they've always been friends
3: so special (laughs) but uh but you know I mean it was pretty easy to and and I think you know before we got on uh started recording Amanda was like hey you know I've got relatives in the St. Louis area maybe we'll go for a run and um, and I think that's really good. You know, all three of us have kids that are about the same age and boy, we can't get together. Um, whenever I go buy a pair of shoes at the local running store, they always ask me to meet up for, for group runs. And I'm like, well, as long as you can be at my house at 4:15 in the morning, we'll we'll do a group run, but otherwise <laughs> you're going to have to wait another five or six years before the, you know, once the kids don't care about me anymore. So, um, so, uh, yeah, I just found it really, really nice to feel like I was part of a team again. Um, it's been a long time since that's been the case. So it was it was good.
0: So now we're going to get into the blatant PSA portion of this.
3: We haven't
1: been doing that already. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Fair enough. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, you can sign up here. <laughs> no,
0: I, I guess I just wanted to – to hear from each of you on one final question which is that if you had advice for somebody either that had already signed up for the program or considering the podcast program what would you say we'll start with Greg we'll go in reverse order
2: uh, I think that it's definitely uh, definitely beneficial especially if you have a specific goal that you want to reach um, goals goals and targets are easier to hit when you have other people working with you and uh, that was definitely definitely clear to me Especially on a few workouts, I I would hit goals in my old training program. I'd hit the paces and everything else, and I still would have that doubt in my mind. And uh, I think in the Canova K workout, the second one, Steve told me that I was going to be going for 125 at New York City Half this um, this past March, and I was planning on really staying closer to 130, which was my safe my safe number um, and my previous PR. And so he told me to go for 125, and then. I saw Ron Romano, I ran into him randomly right before the race. Like we were, there are thousands of people and I look up and I'm tying my shoe and I look up and he's standing right there. And like Lee said, we're like old buddies, like just talking, uh, talking and listening uh, hundred miles a minute. <laughs> and, uh, and it, it's just incredible to be able to have that, that group dynamic and the positive feedback and tell it, people telling you that you can, you can do this and believe in yourself um because doing it alone you're kind of giving yourself the best you're giving yourself a good shot but you also have a number in your head that maybe acts like a a governor um on an engine and and you can't go lower than that number and that's i think i've been running with that governor in place while i was training on my own that that is taken off by the coaches and by the other
0: i love it thank you greg Uh, thoughts from you amanda
4: yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think just having, having the camaraderie, having the encouragement, having uh, other people um, just believe in you, tell you you can do it, or or give you advice, or have you thought about this? Um, just kind of running all those things by other people is so helpful. And I would say that not for people not to let fear stop them too. Like if you. I don't know, for whatever reason, you're scared of joining a team or you don't want to put your goals out there or whatever, um, not to let that stop you, that you should you should try it anyways because it definitely exceeded my expectations.
0: And on that note, Amanda, I did also want to mention, you know, we happen to have the three of you on that are kind of on that three hour and below into the spectrum, but we had all the way from there up to – Jaime, who ran 440 at his race. So a huge range. And that was one of the cool things to see was you guys being able to bond where it didn't really matter what your paces were. It was just, I'm here, I'm showing up, I'm doing the work too. And we're all in this together.
4: Yeah.
0: Lee, thoughts from you to close it out?
4: Yeah,
3: my thoughts are just sign up. I mean, if you're out there and you're going to run a marathon, you're going to work your ass off you might as well give yourself like every possible advantage you can get a hold of. And unless you've got Alberto Salazar buried in your backyard, like this is the best you're going to do. Chris and Steve are awesome. And the training group is awesome. Uh, You know, you, you should really do this. I mean, I was, um, as Amanda said, it far exceeded my expectations. I'm going to be signing up with you guys again. uh, As soon as you tell me how to do it.
0: (laughs) Awesome. And you'll have, teammates if you sign up in lee amanda and greg which is exciting too
2: yeah yeah i'm I'm in as well
0: (laughs) so thank you guys for joining we really appreciate it this has been awesome to both catch up on and reflect on those purpose conversations but also to help with this blatant psa in our next podcast training (laughs) 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 so in lieu in lieu of advertisements yes
1: yes
0: (laughs) you get that but but only because we want to help you get better so thanks guys so there we go a little shameless self-promotion at the end steve it's been a privilege coaching that group those three and all of them we've had about 26 in our podcast training program for this first go at it and it is so far exceeded our
1: expectations that we've shocked ourselves well and we shocked them i mean this is a this is a ongoing story with Rogue. We're, we're pretty damn good at um, over-delivering. We do a good job of that. In um, this podcast, we definitely did it. Uh, and I think the, the key thing I took away from this whole experience, Chris, is our, as all of you already heard, we're we're excited that that this is scalable and that it's able to be done in other places. And hopefully you guys really did hear how it can be super impactful for people who can't get to either don't have good training groups in their area or who, even if they do have good training groups in their area, are just have lives that won't allow them to sync up. And so that part's the coolest part to me, Chris, is that there's, there's, a, there's an answer for anybody out there now. In my opinion, who wants to get faster, who wants to get a Boston qualifier, who wants to get a personal record, who wants to stretch their limits and who sees command performances as valuable. And if you listen to this podcast and you're still listening to it this far in and our numbers are indicating, Chris, that people are listening to us. We had our biggest, biggest month this month that we've had ever. Um, Then you can join in and. It's good stuff. We're, we're doing really good stuff, and there's a great level of community, and we get results too. So, community, authenticity, results. I mean, what else, what more can we ask for? Yeah. So, let's
0: talk some details for those that are interested in checking it out. First of all, you can go to our website, roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training. It's also under the training button. If you're looking at the top menu, you can get all the updated details on the next version of the podcast training group, which we're going to be starting on May 7th. We've got all of that listed, and we also have the ability for you to listen to a sample episode from that podcast training cycle. If you want to do so, you can go to that page and, and click into the link I have there and listen to a sample episode to see what, uh, what it's like. The, this time we are opening it up to more potential race goals, which we're super excited about. We're gonna have two different tracks for the program this time, starting on May 7th with a focus for races in the September to December timeframe. And so we're gonna have two tracks. One track is gonna focus on those that are doing late summer or early fall races, half marathon or marathon. So we're adding half marathon to the mix and so track one will be targeting half marathons or marathons in that late September to early November time frame. And you guys will be basically getting into your specific program work or race distance work starting in May. Because that's, that's the time you would need to start for that. The, track, the second track, track two, will be those that are targeting later fall or early winter half marathons and marathons looking at the mm-hmm. J- December-January timeframe for your target races. In particular, we've got a big group going to the California International Marathon in Sacramento on December 2nd, including several members of the current podcast training group that are going to be moving forward to to uh, with us to that. So if you're interested in going to a destination race with us in Sacramento, that would be an option for you if you're looking at December 2nd. But basically anybody in that... December, January kind of race time frame, marathon or half marathon will be on track two. And for that group, we're gonna be starting not in your specific race distance training work, but with a, what we're calling a speed development track, where you're gonna do some base building, but also work on form efficiency and speed to essentially try to improve your wheels a little bit before you move up to the race specific work, which will start in late July, early August. So we're hoping to accommodate a bunch of different options in that so some of you might say hey i just want to i just want to do the 5k 10k work and you can start in may and do that until later in the summer others you know might be doing the chicago marathon or marine corps in new york or something like that and you can jump in and get on track one and, and start your sort of race specific work in may 7th and then the others can you know that are looking at those late late uh, fall or early winter races can jump in with us on that sort of speed development track and then we'll shift you into race specific work a little bit later but we're hoping giving those options will open this up to more people who can who can give it a shot and then of course within each program we've got three different levels uh, that we target so that that more first timer kind of person or first time marathoner could jump in and, and have a level to work at we've got intermediate and advanced levels as well for those that are more focused on getting a certain time, or getting a PR. With the programming, you get your training macro and then we give you a weekly training podcast that's separate from our main podcast on the, the member page for that group that basically gives you an overview. It's usually 30 minutes of extra content with an overview of the workouts for the week and also usually some tips and other thoughts from Steve and I about where you might be in your training and, and how you might navigate the the arrows that might be coming at that part of the cycle of course you also get access to our private facebook group that lee amanda and greg alluded to that basically becomes that place to share and build accountability within the group and that's been where a lot of the magic has happened in in our group this time for sure and that camaraderie has been built through that virtual platform that that's been fun to see play out in Boston and coastal Delaware when they've been able to actually meet each other in person. So that's what you get.
1: They get one more thing this cycle, Chris. Go ahead. They get a little wrinkle in mental training. We'll be adding some, those of you who have been hot on our mental training podcasts, we've given you some sort of more big picture ways to implement some of the mental training techniques in your running. But in this podcast, we'll also be adding a new wrinkle, which we will have uh, three or four specific mental training technique, um, practical application places so that you all will get a chance to see how developing a mantra and using a mantra in the context of your training cycle might help. Um, and, a wide, and a number of other things, because we haven't decided exactly the number of those mental training uh, episodes we'll do or how we'll do them, but... <laughs> Suffice it to say, it's the first time that we'll be uh, offering that on the podcast, um, and it'll be worked through in real time, both live in our workouts here at Rogue, and also with the podcast training group. So that's another little exciting wrinkle that we're we're excited about having in the play.
0: Yep, and for and how do you get all of that? You can go to that page and sign up. We're we're going to be bringing the price in, basically, essentially the same price that we charged before. This time, we're making it a little bit easier so that just a $40 a month charge that you'll sign up for. And that charge will continue as long as you're with us in the programming. And when you, when you want to cancel or if you find that you're not benefiting from the work, you can, you can drop or change at any time. So we're going to keep that flexible, but also making it easy. So it's just 40 bucks a month, easy to get in. And then you can stay with us on the journey as long as you want and uh, drop off when you want as well. So there is one,
1: one other little piece of this puzzle, Chris, that's a little different from what we do in Rogue normally is you got to sign up by the 31st of May. We are shutting that group down. There will be no jumping back in. We'll have another CIM specific cycle or a, f- a, late, a late fall cycle that we'll create for folks. But uh, so if you are running a December marathon or, a, or, a, or a, a January or February marathon, there'll be another option to get started back up. We don't think you should do that. We think you should jump in with our speed development phase. But, just know that we are going to put a hard cap on this at, at, at 31st, on the 31st of May because we've, we, can't, we can't have people coming and going. We had a lot of requests for that this last cycle, didn't we, Chris, where people wanted to jump in and, uh, no, you gotta, you got to strike. You get it while it's hot. Yep, so you can sign up between
0: now and May 31st, but we'll be kicking off those episodes on May or the week of May 7th so that you are ready to rock and roll. So that's the update. If you have questions or aren't sure if it's right for you, then certainly email me, Chris at roguerunning.com. Check out more information, as I said, at roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training. You can sign up there. You can also see my email there and listen to a sample episode there. So check that out, and we'd love to have you join us. We've got just to give you some perspective, this time we had 26 members from five different countries. I know we've got a few other countries that are going to be jumping in. We've got somebody from potentially Macedonia joining us and, and Thailand joining us. So we've
1: got, uh, we're going worldwide. We need to, we need to actually put that on the website somewhere. Renegades worldwide. Is it on there? We need to get it on that page. It's not,
0: but we did. Yeah. We call ourselves, that group decided to call itself the Renegade, Rogue Renegades worldwide. But anyway, point being, it's a big group, a cool community that is now global and we'd love to have you be a part of it. So check all of that out and let us know if you have questions all right so that's it for today's episode this has been episode 72 of the running rogue podcast as always you can check us out at roguerunning.com or on facebook twitter and instagram at Running. until next time we'll talk to you soon